This is News Source 1 Michiana. Your balanced source of news for the community. Welcome to Michiana Speak Out with Keith Thews. An interactive podcast where we can talk to you or you can speak to us. The show begins right after the national news. News Nation this hour, I'm Vic Vaughn. The U.S. is preparing more shipments of military equipment and ammo for Eastern Europe amid concerns of a possible Russian invasion of Ukraine. Sound of airmen at Dover Air Force Base in Delaware loading pallets. President Biden's expected to decide this week whether he'll deploy up to 5,000 U.S. troops who are already stationed overseas to help NATO allies that border Ukraine and Russia. Major U.S. indices on Wall Street are lower for a seventh straight day. Mark Hamrick's a senior economic analyst at Bankrate.com. One of the things that's giving investors a bit of indigestion here is the fact we have high inflation. The Federal Reserve is planning to set the table for the possibility of interest rate increases this year, possibly as soon as March. Those investors are watching closely for that policy decision, as well as for more corporate earnings results. The U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case that considers race, one that could end affirmative action in college admissions. The court will take up suits claiming Harvard and the University of North Carolina discriminate against Asian American applicants. Lower courts have rejected challenges to allowing the consideration of race in admission decisions, citing decades of high court rulings. But the court's makeup has changed since, with three more conservative justices. The high court's already said to deal with abortion, gun, religion, and COVID-19 this term, Sagar Magani, Washington. Investigators in Kentucky have announced military police shot and killed a man who breached the main gate at Fort Knox Sunday. They say it happened after a 90-minute standoff where officers tried to de-escalate the situation. They say instead he tried to ram the gate with his vehicle and run over the gate guards. Porn star Stormy Daniels is expected to take the stand tomorrow in a criminal trial against her former lawyer, Michael Avenatti. When prosecutors try to prove that the California lawyer cheated her of $300,000 in book proceeds, Her testimony will be pivotal for prosecutors trying to prove Avenatti engaged in wire fraud and aggravated identity theft to keep from giving his client money he'd received from her publisher, Julie Walker, New York. Find News Nation on your cable or satellite provider and stay up to date around the clock at NewsNationNow.com and the News Nation Now app. I'm Vic Vaughn. From Feature Story News in Washington, I'm Simon Marks. President Biden will hold crisis talks with European leaders this afternoon amid growing concern that a Russian invasion of Ukraine is in the offing. NATO says it's putting its forces on standby and reinforcing Eastern Europe with more ships and fighter jets. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. We continue to call on Russia to de-escalate and choose the path uh, of diplomacy. NATO is a defensive alliance which does not threaten Russia or any other country. But we will always do what is necessary to protect and defend all our allies. The U.S. president is reportedly considering the deployment of 5,000 additional U.S. troops to the Baltic region. In London, Prime Minister Boris Johnson is warning the Russians against military action. We need to make it very clear to the Kremlin, to Russia, that 
that would be a disastrous step. Some embassy staff are being withdrawn from the Ukrainian capital by the US and UK governments, and Americans across Ukraine are being urged to leave the country by the State Department. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has won a victory at the High Court in London. He's been given permission to appeal against his extradition to the United States at the Supreme Court. Stella Morris is Mr Assange's fiancée. What happened in court today is precisely what we wanted to happen. The High Court certified that we had raised point of law, point of law of general public importance, and that the Supreme Court has good grounds to hear this appeal. The British government is launching an investigation into allegations of Islamophobia in the governing Conservative Party. Nusrat Ghani, a Muslim Conservative member of Parliament, claims she was told she was fired as a junior minister in 2020 because of her faith. Downing Street denies the claims. France's controversial coronavirus vaccine pass came into force today. People aged 16 and over must show proof they are fully vaccinated to enter public places, including bars, restaurants and cinemas. From FSN's bureau in Paris, Ross Cullen reports. The new pass is part of President Emmanuel Macron's drive to make life difficult enough for the small minority of unvaccinated people that they are compelled to get COVID-19 shots. Bar and restaurant managers will also be allowed to check a person's ID alongside the pass to curb the use of fakes. The vaccine pass has seen thousands of people join weekly street protests against wider COVID-19 restrictions on public life. The fashion designer Thierry Mugler has died at the age of 73. He was born in Strasbourg and won worldwide fame for avant-garde designs that were favoured by David Bowie, Lady Gaga and Katy Perry, among many others. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks, taking another look today at preparations for the Winter Olympics in Beijing. Athletes, their coaches and support staff continue to arrive in the Chinese capital, with the Games set to begin a week from Friday. And the Chinese authorities are going to extraordinary lengths to try and prevent COVID-19 not only from overshadowing the event, but also from spreading across China as a result of it. Patrick Fock is FSN's Beijing bureau chief. It's often referred to as uh, the bubble, but it's not really a single bubble as such. The closed loop is really a series of bubbles, including the Olympic Village, hotels where athletes and other participants are going to be staying, as well as the competition venues. And they're all interconnected via designated shuttles across three competition zones. Remember, some of the competitions happening within Beijing itself, but there are also a lot of old-band competitions that are taking place in Yanqing and Zhangzhou, which are north of Beijing. And the idea, of course, is that athletes and coaches and officials and so on and so forth are going to be kept within this closed loop system and they're not actually going to have any contact with the rest of the country. A total of 11,000 people are due to travel to Beijing for the games. They're COVID tested as soon as they land and then they enter that bubble where they will be tested every day for the duration of the Olympics. And we'll have full coverage of the run-up to the games and then the Winter Olympics themselves from our team in China. The main news again, President Biden has returned to the White House from Camp David where he spent the weekend considering the deployment of another 5,000 US troops to the Baltic states and Eastern Europe. In London, Prime Minister Boris Johnson is warning the Russians an invasion of Ukraine would be a disaster. And WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has won leave to appeal his extradition to the United States at the UK Supreme Court. 
There's more from us on Twitter at Feature Story. And that is the latest Feature Story news. Simon Marks reporting. And good afternoon. Welcome to Michigan Speak Out. My name is Keith Thews, your host, for another week that's beginning on this Monday. We are going to be talking about the situation in Russia, as well as focusing on the beginning of professional auto racing across the globe. Uh, we have two races coming up, and we're excited about uh, letting you know about them today. Our coverage of ABB Formula E Season 8 World Championship begins on Friday at midday and then a second race on Saturday in Adiria, Adiria uh, Saudi Arabia, and then the 24 hours of Daytona sports car race is happening also on Saturday into Sunday. Um, so we have information on the Rolex 24 from David Land. So uh, how was your weekend? Mine had its ups and downs. Uh, we also had snow, and uh, we still had snow today, a second time of winter weather advisories. So uh, let's get on with the information from the National Weather Service. Winter weather advisory remains in effect until 1 p.m. EST slash noon CST slash Tuesday. What? Snow expected. Additional lake effect snow accumulations of 2 to 5 inches with localized higher amounts up to 8 inches in Berrien County where lake banding persists. Where? In Indiana, La Porte, and St. Joseph Counties. In Michigan, Berrien County. When? From 6 a.m. EST slash 5 a.m. CST slash Monday to 1 p.m. EST slash noon CST slash Tuesday. Impacts, travel could be very difficult at times tonight and Tuesday morning. The hazardous travel conditions will persist through the afternoon and worsen this evening as lake effect snow develops. Precautionary slash preparedness actions. Slow down and use caution while traveling. Detailed forecast this afternoon a 30% chance of snow. Cloudy, with a high near 28. West wind around 15 miles per hour tonight snow likely mainly after 11 p.m. cloudy, with a low around 13. Northwest wind 5 to 15 mph chance of precipitation is 70%. New snow accumulation of 1 to 2 inches possible. Tuesday a 30% chance of snow, mainly before 1 p.m. Mostly cloudy and cold, with a high near 17. West wind 5 to 10 mph Tuesday night a 40% chance of snow. Mostly cloudy with a low around zero. Wind chill values as low as minus 10. West wind around 10 mph Wednesday mostly sunny and cold, with a high near 11. West wind around 10 mph Wednesday night partly cloudy, with a low around 1. Thursday a 40% chance of snow after 1 p.m., mostly cloudy, with a high near 27. Thursday night a 50% chance of snow. Cloudy, with a low around 13. Hey, what I hear out there, it is a cold advisory. So cold, oh my gosh, it is brass monkey weather coming up. Brass monkey cold. Cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey. And if you didn't get a chance to hear the podcast, let's give the definition of brass monkey weather. Oh, criminy. 
I'm sorry, but I don't think uh, under these conditions I can work. I, huh, it's cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey. <laughs> I, oh, freeze the balls off a brass monkey. Well, I guess I must work because this is a good one. You know, uh, people uh, know that that means it's very cold, yet it's not inappropriate. Let's take a look at the origin. Some references say that the brass triangles that supported stacks of iron cannonballs on sailing ships were called monkeys, and that in cold weather, the metal contracted, causing the balls to fall off. <laughs> I know you expected something naughty, but not from your professor, dear children. <laughs> I'm Professor Goodenwell, and you've been watching Famous Phrases. Bye-bye. <laughs>
is that the UK is leading on creating the package of economic sanctions, working with our, our partners um, around the world. And I'll be talking to, to, to them this afternoon, this evening, uh, talking to, to, to colleagues in other capitals and in, in Washington. Uh, but we also need to get over the message that invading Ukraine from a, from a Russian perspective is going to be a painful, violent, and bloody business. And I think it's very important that people in Russia understand that this could be a new Chechnya. I've been to, to Ukraine several times. I've, I've, I, I know uh, the people of that country uh, a bit. And my judgment is that they will fight. And really, uh, that is not the way the world should be going. But the UK is in the lead in creating that package of economic sanctions, uh, stiffening the, uh, the, the, helping to stiffen the resistance of, uh, uh, of our Ukrainian friends, uh, as you know, with defensive weaponry that we're supplying, uh, making it clear that we stand fully foursquare uh, with the people of Ukraine, and that we support the uh, sovereign integrity of, of Ukraine. And we do. Uh, but we also need to get over to, to Russia that any invasion, any incursion of any kind, of any dimension into Ukraine is not going to be a cost-free business. And that was Prime Minister Boris Johnson of the United Kingdom. Here is uh, additional news story that came out today from Channel 4 News in the United Kingdom. Russian actions might be imminent. The drumbeat of war grows louder. The United, swift and severe response. Putin's center stage of Ukraine tensions. The West hopes for more talks and less tanks. We will not attack. I think that he's playing, he's bluffing. The ball is in Putin's court. Ukrainian tanks performing for the cameras. But these drills aren't just for show. Russia demands Ukraine never be allowed to join NATO. And an estimated 127,000 Russian troops are now stationed on Ukraine's border. Routine military exercises, according to Moscow. We will not attack, strike, invade, quote-unquote, whatever, Ukraine. Others fear an invasion is imminent. If Russia wants to convince the world that it has uh, no aggressive intent toward Ukraine, uh, a very good place to start would be by moving its forces from Ukraine's borders. UK intelligence has warned that Russia is plotting to install a pro-Moscow leader in Ukraine's government. The question is whether Putin will use force to get what he wants. 100,000 troops on the border. Who knows what he's going to do next? On Friday, the US Secretary of State met with the Russian foreign minister in the latest attempt at de-escalation. All of us. Uh, equally committed uh, to um, the path of diplomacy and dialogue, but we're also committed, Russia decides to pursue aggression against Ukraine, to a united, swift, and severe response. But many think what Vladimir Putin really wants are in-person talks with President Joe Biden. He wants to prove to all his, um, to all Russians that Russia is, once again, a great world power and Russia and the United States of America rule the roost. And for that, all he needs is to sit down at the table with him. That kind of politics is childish in my book, um, but it's a damn sight cheaper than an invasion. I think that he's playing, he's bluffing, and I think he's trying to see how, how scared we are and what kind of concessions we're going to make. But some believe war isn't off the table yet. Unless there is no 
drawback in the Russian intention, there is no, no reason to be uh, relieved. The West is taking no chances. These crates contain 90 tons of military equipment that has just arrived in Ukraine from the United States. And the UK has sent elite troops to train Ukrainian soldiers in anti-tank weaponry. We're making sure that the Ukrainians can fight for themselves. We're defending a country here that is trying to determine its own future, as all countries should be able to do. As the drumbeat of war grows louder, the world hopes that Putin will choose talks over tanks. News Source One will continue to uh, inform you as thoroughly as we can about the situation as it develops over there in Eastern Europe. Please say a prayer every day, I ask you, uh, because of the situation being tense and, and could definitely get out of hand. So we'll keep you up to date on the latest as we get it. Uh, please share this with your friends and uh groups that you're a part of as well. Also, please keep Hawthorne Elementary School and the decisions that are being made for that school, old school building in Elkhart. Um, there is uh, some positive and negative comments, and uh, there is a concern that they will be closing that school, sending 500 students to other schools and making it an early childhood or early learning and community resource center. Uh, there's some talks that are going to be happening, so please Left up the uh, the school of Hawthorne Elementary. When we come back, we're talking about the Rolex 24 at Daytona from David Land. Happy and whole on him from Pastor Joel Irvin and wrap things up with the Paul Harvey story for this afternoon. Again, if you are in the area of the lake effect snow, please drive carefully. Uh, allow extra time for your um, travels and destination. I will be back tomorrow afternoon. Let's go on with the uh, advertisement and David Land. Looking for a very warm and friendly church to attend? Come to Elkhart Bethel UMC at Michigan and Simonton Streets. Sunday hymns worship is at 9 a.m. followed by Cookie Fellowship and Sunday School. It was qualifying day here at the Roar before the 24 hours of Daytona. And some of these boys forgot it was just a qualifying race and we ended up getting a surprise Pikachu Wayne Taylor face. But a very important day as we set the grid for the Rolex 24. We've got some driver interviews and a lot of things to talk about. Let's get into it. So welcome back to the World Center of Racing, Daytona International Speedway. What uh, an exciting day here. Um, this is the second year that the Roar Before the 24 has really been a point-paying qualifying race. And certainly this has been the most exciting of the two. We got to talk about that finish. DPI. Haven't actually spoken a whole lot about DPI this weekend. It's really been such an intense focus on the GT battle and uh, both on and off the track. But the number 10 at Konica Minolta, Wayne Taylor Racing uh, Acura was almost passed by the number five JDC Miller Motorsports Cadillac. That car has been so fast, and it was very reminiscent of a move that uh, Ricky Taylor put on Felipe Albuquerque towards the end of the 2017 race. And the ironic part about it all is that Felipe Albuquerque and Ricky Taylor are now teammates in that Wayne Taylor Racing 
Acura, and it was the five car uh, that came out once again on the losing end of this battle. So certainly, um, we finally got our first look at what the 61 car field would look like coming down for the green, taking the green flag, running in traffic. I was actually surprised and impressed that IMSA uh, allowed all of the GT cars to maintain their initial and original starting positions, whether they're pro or am class. A lot of times if a prototype, uh, for example, goes slower than a GT car, it will still start ahead of the GT cars um, in the starting grid. Uh, that was not the case, at least for the GT field, and I thought it was a much stronger race because of it. It's fun to see that inter-class battle, and we've seen quite a bit of that already and I think for 24 hours here uh, next Saturday to Sunday it's going to be exactly that. So let's go over exactly who were our class winners today and of course I already talked about the finish the Wayne Taylor number 10 Cadillac or uh, sorry not Cadillac Acura I did it I did the thing uh, Konica Minolta Acura ARX 05 uh, taking the overall victory and will start from the pole position of the Rolex 24. The five car did come in second. Uh, it was no harm, no foul on the spin. Pierre One Mathiasen Motorsports, the wins car, was first in class in LMP2. That means that Ben Keating will start second in DPI and first in LMP2. And actually, we got an interview with him. We'll talk to him later on. 36 car won in LMP3. Andretti Autosport starting from the pole position with their Liget in LMP3. Certainly, a lot of my viewers will be happy with that result. The number 63 TR3 Lamborghini uh, winning the class in GTD Pro. They were the fastest overall GTD car as well. Certainly, uh, when you got a, essentially a Lamborghini factory effort with Lamborghini factory drivers, they've got a lot of SRO and GT racing experience, particularly multi-class GT3 racing with everybody running GT3 cars. So really no surprise, um, but certainly the Mercedes and the Porsches have proven to be very, very quick as well. I think it's going to be, at least based on what we have seen so far, a battle between Lamborghini, Porsche, and Mercedes. And speaking of Mercedes, it was Windward Racing taking the victory and the pole position for next week's Rolex in GTDM. So, like I promised, we finally actually got some driver interviews uh, lined up today. So, first, we're going to throw it over to my interview with second overall, first in LMP2 today, Ben. Keating, and of course he's running two cars, two prototypes, two unique prototypes, and he brings a unique perspective to his Rolex 24. Take a listen. You know, it's fun for me to be in two different cars, just because I feel like I double my chances. Uh, uh, however, having said that, in both cases, uh, I, we have incredibly strong cars. I, I, I think, you know, in, in both cars, uh, we would have to be one of the favorites to win. Uh, and that's, you know, uh, that's also really exciting. What makes this year different, special, is that it's the first time I've ever run in DPI. It's the first time I've ever had the opportunity to run for an overall win. And uh, that's just crazy to think about. You know, uh, that's something that's really special uh, to think about uh, having the opportunity to be on the overall podium uh, or an overall win is uh uh, is definitely something, you know, that's a level above. Now, obviously, LMP2 and DPI, they're the same base rule set, but 
um, what is the difference as a driver, and w- do you have to change your driving style to jump in the Cadillac versus the Orca? Yes, uh, yes, for sure. Yeah, that's. Uh, I drove the car for the first time on Friday afternoon. Uh, we did no testing. We w- we weren't able to do any testing before being here, so I jumped in the car on uh, a, a, on Friday afternoon. I did about three laps, and they called me into the pits and told me everything I was doing wrong uh, because I was driving it like an LMP2 car. Uh, I expected them to be very similar, uh, uh, and uh, they're quite different, uh, uh, which is a a lot of fun for me. Uh, uh, I expected it to be just the same kind of stuff, and and my lap times between the two cars are somewhat similar uh, because I'm driving them the same way. Uh, I expect that once I get into the race, you get into a rhythm, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, I'll be quicker in the DPI car uh, just because, uh, you know, uh, you got more power. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I'll learn how to, uh, how to extract the speed and the lap time out of that car. Uh, but uh, they are quite different, and it's a lot of fun. I, I believe that... You know, running in the DPI car and understanding how to get the speed out of that car is making me a little better in the LMP2 uh, uh, and vice versa. So, uh, you know, yes, it's a difficult to switch between the two, uh, but there's also uh, something to be gained from learning how to extract the speed out of uh, the different cars. So obviously one of the big discussion points as well, we've been harping on it and harping on it and harping on it, has been the GT battle, particularly in GTD AM. Two drivers got to talk to you today, and two drivers you're probably familiar with if you're an open-wheel racing fan. And one of the big things about the Rolex 24 in particular is you've got a lot of IndyCar, Indy Lights, Formula One drivers in some cases, coming over here and uh, pitch-hitting. Well, at least one of these drivers is full-time in IMSA this year, and one of them is full-time in the IMSA Endurance Cup. We talked to Stefan Wilson and Robert McGinnis, yes, Chicken Tendies himself, about the challenges of adapting to a GT car and also how to handle the traffic. It is actually, uh, it's been quite a big transition, a lot of learning to be done on how to extract a lot of time out of these cars. These are absolutely incredible cars uh these are not they might look like uh a street sport car but they are far from it they are some badass machinery um lots of downforce so that's what i'm used to uh, but steel brakes so that's been quite an adjustment in trying to uh, go back to learning how to uh, drive a, a car with steel brakes again you know the carbon ceramic the way it slows the car down is just a little bit different uh, than steel so um, yeah, we haven't had too much laps around here, um, but you know, every lap we're just learning more. I'm, I'm learning more and just and developing, and I can't thank the Hardpoint team enough for, for making that transition uh, as easy as possible for me. Um, you know, it's uh, I think it's actually drives similarly to a Formula car, right? It's got four wheels, it's got a steering wheel. This car makes you know a decent amount of aero. Um, it's got a bunch of power, so it's not too different from an Indy Lights car. You know, it's a lot of the same principles. Uh, you still have to, you know, hit the brakes in the same way. You still have to get on the throttle, make sure you're not sliding around. So a lot of the same things are there. It's just been nitpicking little things like how you get the car in on the ABS and stuff that's been different. But, you know, you, you learn that with time, and I'm still getting up to speed and still figuring that out. But um, I think uh, driving last year, the Endurance Cup, I think that was a big help as well. 
uh, just to, you know, get this IMSA Endurance GT deal, you know, in my head and kind of figure out what it's all about. This year is going to be interesting dynamic. As you've touched on it, there's 35 GT3 cars out there. You know, that's definitely a change from last year when you had the GTLM machinery out there. There was a bit of a separation, more of a separation than there is uh, right now. Um, so it would break up that, that GT uh, sort of category so that when the DPEs and the other prototypes come through, they're a little bit more staggered. Now you've just got this swarm of, of 35 GT cars. And as we were just talking about, the competition level, we might be the lowest category that's racing in the 24 in terms of on the on the timesheets, but uh, you know the competition level in the GT category is just insane. You know these guys are world class uh, drivers. A lot of them could easily be Indy car drivers uh, with certain different uh, takes in their career. But you know um, that that's me. That means that it, it's awesome. Like I, I'm racing against some of the very best, and I'm measuring myself against some of the very best. So. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be an interesting dynamic on uh, that we're going to see where those DPI cars, the prototypes, are going to have to navigate this this huge swarm of GT cars, and, and we'll see how that plays into the 24. It should make it exciting. No, I mean there's just so many GT cars out there, but it's fun. It's fun, right? There are fewer cars going by us now, right? Because the LMs would pass us, you know, every 15 whatever laps. Um, so now it's like. I feel like when you're out there, it doesn't matter who's in front of you, you're going after them, right? If it's a pro car, you're gonna pass the pro car. If it's another GTD car, then it's like, great, I'm gonna make up a position here. Um, but uh, I think it's really made the field so deep and so competitive, and you really have to work so hard to, to be up at the front that I, I love it. I love it, and being able to compare ourselves to some of the best GT drivers in the world, some of the best GT lineups in the world, that's super cool, and I think we have a lineup here, and I think we have a car here that we can beat a bunch of those guys with, so that's, that's inspiring, right? And finally, an interview that I was not expecting to get today, um, and certainly not someone I was really at all prepared or expecting to talk to, and it's Mirko Jensen. I hope I said that right. I even told him we Americans have a terrible uh, track record of pronounce, pronouncing European names, so I'm sorry. Hopefully we'll talk again sometime. But uh, he is the par driver partner in the wins number 52 to Ben Keating. And his story is very unique. He uh, started racing fairly late, at least um, in the traditional sense, 15 years old in carts, moved up to cars, and eventually got noticed by the Peugeot LMP1 team, or I guess LMH team now. And he will be driving that very unique vehicle that we've seen testing recently. He has not driven it yet, but he gives some unique perspective on a car that may well, with hypercar and LMDH convergence be racing here next year. Yeah, but I started in, in 17 with, with sports cars, LMP3. Did it for a couple of years, always tried to get into to LMP2, um, but it's hard to, to prove yourself uh, not having any budget to, to bring. Um, and, and three years it took in LMP3 to be able to race the first season in, in LMP2 in 2020. Um, with, with G-Drive, which was one of the best teams, uh, and still is. Um, and, and this was was the, the door that opened then for, for future things. That's when Peugeot got interested in me. That's how I got to drive in PR1, I guess, because they've seen me in this season in, in 2020. So um, since then, there's just been loads of opportunities. And I would say the, the, the big start of my career really was in, in 2020 when much more opportunities uh, started to rise. So tell me a little bit about that Peugeot uh, opportunity because we're all so excited with that car. It's a very unique looking car. Um, how, how did they approach you? How did they discover you? 
I think they discovered me in the in Le Mans in 2020, which was my my first time ever, uh, first time in the P2 around there, first season in P2 and first time in Le Mans at all. So um, yeah, I think I did quite a good job there for for being the rookie um, and matching my, my my pro teammates, and and this just uh, showed them something which uh, was interesting. Um, and we started talking after that, and and they tried to to settle their drivers very early in this program because we know with LMDH and Hypercar coming. Much more manufacturers are coming, and I think Peugeot had the approach that they wanted to be first out and try to secure the, the drivers they wanted. Otherwise, they would be too late, there would be too much competition. Um, so that's how uh, we got to work together, and now it's actually been more than a year since we, we started working together. But it's only been simulated until now, and then next month, finally, in, in February, I get to drive the car. So you haven't driven the car yet. I know it's been testing, but what are you kind of anticipating? Because it is a unique car. There's a, a I guess there is a rear wing on it now, but it's a little bit, little tiny little thing. Uh, it's it's a different concept, and it, will it? Are you expecting it to be much different than your LMP2 experience, or will it be? Will it handle very similarly to what you're used to? Well, I, I only know what I know from the sim and what you see. I've done a bit of uh, of WC races in the GT, so you have a view always on. On, on the Toyota hypercars, which is the car I'm, I'm watching out for to see if I can learn some stuff and see and predict what our car is going to feel like, because the hypercars are a bit more heavy. Um, so we will have slower corner speeds, at least in the slow corners, where we don't have so much uh, downforce. Um, so it's going to be more difficult than a P2, I guess, uh, but we do have the four-wheel drive above 120 kph, so it also does help the traction in, in long corners, getting on power. So. It's a bit of a mix. I don't know how exactly it's going to feel like, so I'm super excited for, for my first text, uh, test next month. And so that's it. That's my coverage of the Roar before the 24. Of course, there'll be coverage all through the week of the lead-up to the Rolex 24 and, of course, the Rolex 24 itself. More driver interviews. We're getting Kyle in on Wednesday, so we're going to have some extra firepower at the camera position, and it'll allow me to do a little bit more digging in the paddock and hopefully have even more scoops and information for you. Now they're yelling at us that they're going to close things down. That probably means that I should also close things down. So thank you guys so much for watching. This has been David Land on YouTube. Shout out to all the great Patreon supporters. You're about to see their names with some cool footage. And we'll see you in the next video. Billy Graham once said, Satan is masterful at using just enough of God's truth to capture a person's attention and then mix it with his devious potion that will lead astray. Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church. 
we've been considering the lies Satan tells us that often sound so good. Have you ever heard the expression, God helps those who help themselves? Doesn't that sound pretty good? I've heard it quoted often, and many folks, including the majority of Christians, think that that is in the Bible, according to Barna Research. And it sounds good because we know that we are not to be passive, but actively doing good in our lives. If you're a Christian, you are now God's workmanship, created for good works that God has prepared for you beforehand. Ephesians 2.10 But here's the devil's potion. You are not helping your cause before God. God does not help those who help themselves. This is not in the Bible. It is, as Paul would call it, another gospel that is no gospel. The true gospel is to live in the grace of Christ alone. Galatians 1 verses 6 and 7. God helps those who help themselves is a scheme of the devil aimed at taking your eyes off Jesus. Setting your eyes rather on what you're doing in order to be rewarded by God. And this, my friend, will lead you down one of two paths. It will either lead you into pride as you set your eyes on your good works, things you should get recognition for. But the only way you can make much of your goodness is actually by shrinking God's law. You see, we're required to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength at all times. Let's be honest, you and I have not done that for a single minute of our lives. The other path is that of despair. If you're doing good works in order to get into God's good graces, how much goodness is enough to get in? When will you know you've been good enough for God? If you read scripture, you read uh, God's standard is perfection, complete holiness, 1 Peter 1.15. The fact that not one of us is perfect is the reason God sent his perfect son, Jesus, to die for our sins. The gospel is all of grace, an undeserved gift given by God so that our salvation is all of his work. But the devil does not want you to rest in God's work, where God would get the glory. He wants you to think that you need to help your cause with your own efforts. But to be working for salvation is to always be working, Jared Wilson. That is exhausting. It's a yoke that you and I cannot bear, friend. God wants us to enter his rest. Jesus wants you to take his kind yoke upon you, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. So what do we do, Joel? Well, if we tend toward the pride path, well, we need to get over ourselves. We need to utterly despair of all that we can do to please God. Listen, there is a real sense that there is nothing you can do to please God. Let me repeat that so that it hurts. There is a real sense that there is nothing you can do to please God. Do you remember the parable of the servant? who did all he was supposed to do in Luke 17:10 Jesus said afterwards so you also when you have done everything you were told to do should say we are unworthy servants we have only done our duty the point that Jesus is making is that even if you were able to do everything God asked of you all you would have done is the duty expected of you by your creator God he still owes you nothing how can you profit God? God needs nothing. He is God. Recognize that and then repent of your righteousness. Now, if you tend the other way towards despair, well, my counsel to you is own it. Thomas Brooks said, 
the first step toward heaven is to see ourselves near hell. Does that make you feel uncomfortable and helpless? That, my friends, is a good thing. Listen to the good news of Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Do you see that God does not help those who help themselves? God helps those who are helpless. So own your helplessness. Admit that you're a mess unable to get it right because all your mess does is qualify you for God's grace. That is the good news. It's not that we're pleasing to God and then get grace. It is that God is pleased to grace those who simply admit their weakness and their need. Yesterday I preached on one of my favorite promises of Jesus found in Luke 12, 32. Jesus says, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And you may say, Joel, how can I know that the Heavenly Father smiles on me and wants me to have all of that? Romans 8.32, my friend. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? My friend, what greater expression of favor could there be than for the Heavenly Father to give you the greatest gift he had? So take your eyes off yourself, that's the devil's trick, and fix them on the Son of God's love. My friend, remember who you are and who you belong to. Now, the rest of the story. Once upon a time in Pierce Bridge, North Yorkshire, England, there was a charming traveler's haven known as the George Hotel. More than a hundred years ago, the hotel was a routine stop for horse-drawn coaches. The place was run by a couple of bachelor brothers named Jenkins. There was an old clock in the lobby of the George Hotel. That's really what this story is about, the old clock. It kept very good time, such excellent time that its accuracy was a frequent topic of conversation among the guests of the hotel. Until one of the Jenkins brothers died. And strangely, suddenly the old clock began losing time. Five, ten minutes a day at first, eventually half an hour, 45 minutes, sometimes as much as an hour a day. The most skilled clocksmiths did their best to repair the ailing timepiece, but each failed. The clock's chronic unreliability became as remarkable as its precision had once been. Remember now, the clock started getting crotchety shortly after the death of the younger Jenkins brother. Some said it was no wonder then, when the elder brother passed away in his 90th year, the old clock in the lobby of the George Hotel, fully wound, nevertheless stopped completely. The new hotel manager never tried to have the clock fixed. He just left it sitting silently in a sunlit corner, its hands resting in the position they had assumed the moment old man Jenkins had died. But this is the rest of the story. During the mid-1870s, an American songwriter named Henry Clay Work traveled to England, visiting Pierce Bridge. He was told the story of the old clock in the George Hotel, and seeing the clock for himself, Henry was inspired to compose a song about it, about the fascinating coincidence of its stopping as its elderly owner breathed his last. Now, a bit about Henry Work. He was Connecticut-born, a printer's apprentice who studied harmony so that he could write songs for his friends. In 1861, his song started selling. You're going to remember his rousing Civil War anthem, Marching Through Georgia. 
As of his trip to England, that was Henry's most popular tune, but now Henry Work wanted to eclipse his marching through Georgia success. He decided to do it with a song about a clock that stopped ticking when its aged owner died. Well, Henry wrote that song, and it did become the success of his lifetime. It sold almost a million copies of sheet music, and one of the things that made it so appealing was the way the lyrics were written. Henry pretended that he was old man Jenkins' grandchild recalling the clock which ran for 90 years and then stopped forever. And although you may never have heard that song, you are familiar with a phrase which was first used, first used in that song. Before the lyrics of Henry Work, such tall standing long case clocks were called pendulum clocks or pendulum clocks or coffin clocks. It was Henry Work who wrote, quote, my grandfather's clock was too tall for the shelf, so it stood 90 years on the floor. It was taller by half than the old man himself, though it weighed not a pennyweight more. You remember the words now? My grandfather's clock was too tall for the shelf. Prior to that song, the long-cased clocks which sat on the floor were referred to by a variety of names, but because of Henry's verse, then and ever since, we've called them grandfather's clocks. And now you know the rest of the story. This is News Source 1 Michiana, Elkhart South Bend, 